Acts chapter 19, it says this verse number one. It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, did I say the right thing? Acts chapter 19, verse one. That Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. I want to use for a subject this morning, just preaching a few minutes. I want to talk about expectation. I want to talk about having an, an expectancy that God is going to do something. You, you can look at this passage and it's quite a powerful thing. The question is asked of these men and women. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when... You believed. If you if you shorten that question, he said, "Did you receive when you believed?" It's quite obvious to me that often there is a disconnect between what we believe and what we receive. We all believe that God can heal. We all believe that God can restore. We all believe that God can provide. We believe that God raises the dead and calls those things that be not as though they are. We believe that he has a plan. We believe that he has a purpose. We believe, you know, all over this nation, there are people that may not even go to church that believe God can. But there is a big difference between believing that God can and that God will. There's a great difference in believing in something and receiving something. And the truth is that, that the difference between believing and receiving is a thing called faith. It's a thing called expectation, which is the breeding ground for the miraculous. It's a breeding ground for the supernatural. You know, the, we, we, we've got to get to a space in our world where we stop just believing in things and we start believing four things. We start believing that God will do something, that God will change a circumstance, that God will do a miracle. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Because, you know, we, there's not a person in this room that doesn't believe in miracles. But somehow I think we get into our mind that God will do it for some and maybe not others, that even though we say he's no respecter of persons, subconsciously we believe that he, that he is. But he's not. He responds to faith. And faith comes where the will of God is known. And I want to be a person that lives with that sense of expectation that, that God is going to do something. And by faith, I'm going to connect with what God wants to do and receive it in my heart and in my life. A number of years ago, I had a, an experience that, you know, I've experienced many times since. And, uh, but as a pastor, when, when you have people in your church that are in critical physical condition or families of those people, you end up visiting them in, in their hospital or, or whatever. And I remember this profoundly affected me, not, not really the experience, but an observation that I made. We, we had a guy in our church who's still a great friend of mine and, 
And uh, his father developed lung cancer and, and sadly, well, praise God, he gave his heart to Jesus during that time and went to heaven. But he passed from this life and he went to another life. And I remember being in the room with my friend's dad maybe 90 minutes before he went home to be with Jesus. And when I was in that room, what, what, I, what I noticed was, was the, the way he was breathing what was obviously incredibly stressful even, even to watch and obviously very traumatic for him. But what I realized that day is it wasn't a lack of oxygen that was causing this man to, to perish. Everyone else in the room was breathing the same air. The same air was in that room and we're breathing and it was all fine. But for him, what was in the room, he was unable to receive because he had lost his capacity to receive. He didn't die because of a lack of oxygen. He died because of a lack of ability to receive what was in that room. And you know, God began to show me that we get like that in church sometimes where it's almost like we've lost our ability to connect with what's in the room. When you first got saved, some of you were running the aisles. When you got saved, you were shouting. You were getting excited every week. Whatever message was preached was the best sermon you ever heard. The, the, the latest song was your favorite song. I mean, you'd get to church early. You'd be at every service. Even the men would go to every service. You'd go to the basket weaving service. You'd be in the ladies meeting dressed in a frock. And you didn't look nice. It was nasty. We know. And then we're glad you stopped doing that. But, but you know what I mean? When you first got saved, you believed God could do anything. You'd tell people about Jesus. I mean, you'd walk up to random people. Oh, Jesus changed my life. And now it's almost like we've matured. But somewhere along the way, I wonder if our capacity to receive, our capacity to receive from God, you can be carried by the momentum of this room every Sunday. You can come into church and be carried by the atmosphere. You get great preaching here. You got the best preaching in the city in this church. And, and you got great worship. There's a great anointing of God. There's a great sense of God's presence. And it is so easy to come in on a Sunday, take in the atmosphere and go home. And you might realize that you're not breathing in the same thing that other people are breathing in because your capacity to receive has shifted because you've gone from a, a receiver back to just believing, but no longer connecting with what God wants to do. And you know, I want to encourage you, turn your receiver on today, man. Flick the switch of faith and, and, and place a demand on the power of God because I'm telling you, He has a river that won't run dry. He's got an anointing for you. His, his cup is everlasting. There, there's enough miracle. Just because someone else is shouting for a miracle, sometimes we see someone else get blessed and we think God's run out of blessing because the blessing that you were supposed to get, they got. But let me tell you, if they're shouting, you should shout too because if He did it for them, come on somebody. He'll do it for you. Expectation. Somebody say expectancy. You know, I got into my hotel last night and it was dark in the room. So I needed to turn the light on so I could see. I didn't walk into that room and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make that light illuminate so I can see my way into this room? All I did was I, I flicked the switch. And when I flicked the switch, that switch connected the light 
to the power and that like drew, it placed a demand on the power going wherever it goes and flicked that thing and that light came on. You know, when you come to church, we've got to do the same thing. We walk in sometimes, we just think we'll sit there, we're plugged in, we're ready to go. We need to flick that switch called faith. Are you out there this morning? And say, I'm not leaving the house of God unless I have a God encounter. I'm not leaving. I'm flicking that switch. I'm placing a demand on the power of God because I want to see something happen. Expectation is the breeding ground for the supernatural. You know the story, Acts chapter 3. I love this story because this man had a sense of expectancy. The Bible says... This lame man at a place called Gate Beautiful, outside of the temple, couldn't walk. He was a lame man from birth. And Peter and John walked past. And the Bible said he looked at them expecting to receive something. His expectation was still lower than what God wanted to do. He expected he might get a few bucks and get through the day. But he expected in the right direction. He expected and he looked to the people of God. And as he expected, the Bible tells us that he didn't get money, but he got the very thing that he could not have even dreamed of. And I'm telling you, you might have an expectancy that God wants to bless you and you think that maybe God just wants to help you get by. Do you know, if you set your expectation on Jehovah Jireh, if you set, are, you, are, you, are you alive this morning? Are you happy today? If you, if you set your expectation on El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, not El Cheaper, the God who's nearly enough. More than enough. If you set your expectation on Him, He'll give you blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Expectancy. Expect something to happen in your heart and in your life. I'll show you how expectation works. When you come to church with a sense of expectation, and then there is anointing in this place, presence. There's an anointed man of God. There's ministry happening. Your sense of faith and expectancy comes in contact with that anointing. And then there's this thing called impartation that happens. Your faith plus the anointing, your expectation plus the anointing equals impartation. And that's where growth is. That's where change is. That's where God does something. I remember being in church one time. I'll never forget it. I was in a meeting. This is years and years ago now. I'm sitting next to my friend in church and singing's happening. And I remember standing in the service and, and I, I needed to repent of this. It wasn't, it wasn't even a good way to think. But I remember being in the meeting thinking, there's no real sense of the anointing here. Where's the anointing? Because I figured I must know all things about the anointing. And so I'm saying, where's the anointing? There's just no sense. There's no sense of the presence of God. I looked up. And I looked to my left and I saw my friend standing next to me. He had his hands up. Worshiping God, tears streaming down his face, getting touched by the presence of God. And I realized that day that it was not an, the issue of no anointing or no sense of God's presence had nothing to do with what was happening on the platform, but it was what was happening in the pew. And the problem was me. And can I say, when you come into the house of God, you get out of it what you put into it. And if you come in faith, if you come ready, let me tell you, if you shout the preacher down, if you get happy, if you get behind what God's doing, I mean, when Pastor Sean's leading, help him out a bit, shout hallelujah in the breaks, get a bit pumped, just tear up the floor, just a little, get in. You would be amazed at what that can do to shift an atmosphere and an atmosphere of faith is created. Come on, somebody. An atmosphere of faith is created and God can do something supernatural. I, 
I, I, there's nothing like walking into a place that's charged with the power of God. When you walk into this church, you can sense that there's a, there's, there's a, there's a sense of excitement, a sense of expectation, a sense that God's going to do something. I don't know about you, but I have a sense of expectancy in my spirit that there's people here right now and you are sick in your body, but when you leave this meeting, you're going to leave whole by the grace of God. I have a sense of expectation that there's people in the room right now who maybe, maybe you've come in here and you don't know Jesus or you thought this was Walmart or something. Sorry, Walmart or something. And you've walked in here and you don't know why you're here. Maybe your father manipulated you into coming to church and said, but it's Father's Day. And you're here today under sufferance. But secretly you've come in here and it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. It's not as old time as you thought it was going to be. You're not sitting on a hard pew that we need to surgically remove you from at the end of the service. You're sitting here and going, this isn't too bad. Can I tell you, you might be here just to keep your dad happy. But what about you? Why don't you even shift your expectation that maybe God's going to touch you in this place this morning and change your life by the grace of God? Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh man, happy Father's Day. Let's have a look at Mark 16 for a minute. I want to show you something. I want to show you the opposite. Mark. Somebody say Mark. Say it like an Aussie. Say Mark. None of this Mark. 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 It sounds like seagulls are flying over. Mark. 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 If you're Chinese, it's muck. Mark chapter 6, I went to 16, I got excited. In verse 1, it says, it says this, and this is Jesus. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? These things being... The wisdom of God, the ability to move in the miraculous. Where did, he, where did he get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they are already acknowledging that some stuff is happening, that God's moving, that is touching people. But then they go on. Watch this. This is, this is amazing. It's fascinating to me. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? The Bible says, so they were offended with him. Offended with him. This, they're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And they are offended with him for preaching the word and moving in miracle power. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, let's have a look at verse 5. If we, now, 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 see the third word right there. It does not say, now he would not. Jesus did not respond to their offense by withholding his hand. So he wasn't being mean. He wasn't judging. He wasn't being cruel. The Bible says that he could not or he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Now, just keep that there for a minute because that is not unlike the body of Christ today. We see bits and pieces. We see God doing things, 
But we're not seeing the big breakthroughs probably as much as we would like. Because I believe as the church, and I'm not saying this to us, I love the church, I'm building the church, I'm not a preacher that ever gets up and says the problem with the church or anything like that. I think the church is awesome. It's growing, it's multiplying, it's expanding. We, you know, it's awesome days. But the reality is, I do believe that sometimes we get a little bit small in our view of what God can do and our expectancy gets little when God is ever so big. And I really do believe that one of the reasons we're not seeing things happen is not because God won't. It's simply because faith and expectancy is what draws the power of God and bring, it brings it into our world. There is something about having an expectation that God is going to do something. These guys were offended with him. Who does he think he is? And you know something? They got nothing because they couldn't see what God could do beyond their natural senses. And you know, when we come to church, it's so easy to just go, that's just Pastor Rick. Or that's just Pastor Mike. Or that's just Pastor Josh. Yeah, they're they're cool. They're great. You know, it's amazing. You take some of those guys out of this context and you put them on the other side of the world in the same church with the same kind of people, with the same kind of, you know, atmosphere, all of that. Because sometimes those guys are not in their own place. They're somewhere else. It's a bigger sense of expectancy. And God does absolutely amazing things that he wants to do even in the life of a local church, even in the life of this house, that maybe if we just thought, man, God is so big, I've got an expectation. Don't just come to church and think, you know, I'm going to get a nice word. Come believing that this place, your life is going to be changed. And you know some don't settle for just coming to church. Plug in to the fire of God and let God do something in your world. I want to have an expectation for a demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power in my heart and in my life. I expect God to do something. I want to go to church and expect that anything could, could happen. When's the last time you went to church and you left and went, my goodness, that was incredible. You know, there's people here today. Some of you are going to leave and go, that was unbelievable. And some of you are going to go, I'm going to crack a barrel. You're going to get me some grits, some turnip greens. Some of you are going to leave and go, man, I met with Jesus this morning. And you know the difference? Simply a little thing called expectation. Don't let... The smallness. You know, the Bible says here in this story, and you don't need to put it back up. The Bible says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He marveled, he marveled (laughs) at their unbelief. Do you know there is only one other time in the word of God when he marveled? One other time. And that's when the centurion soldier said to him, he said, just send a word. Just speak a word. And I know my servant will be healed. Can I tell you, if I, I want God to marvel at me, not, not, not for any self-righteous reason, but I'd love to have faith that caused him to marvel, not doubt and unbelief, not, not a sense of being too casual with God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did 2,000 years ago on the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem what he did on the shores of Galilee when he, when he spat in the dirt and rolled it into mud and put it in the sockets of a blind man and he was healed. When he, when he went, went to the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and when he said to Bartimaeus, son, your faith has made you well. And when, when the woman with the issue of blood just touched the hem of his garment, virtue went out from him. Can I, t- can I tell you something? He's still doing those things today. 
Is anybody out there this morning that believes that? He's still a healer. He's still a way maker. He's still the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. He's still alive. Amen. I'm telling you right now, let's not get our view of Jesus so small that we're incapable of receiving from him. We serve a big God, a big Holy Ghost, a big Heavenly Father, a big Jesus. Man, I'm preaching myself happy this morning. And I was happy before. That frappuccino helped. Man, bless God. Does anyone believe that God is able? Does anyone believe that Jesus is alive in the house this morning? Does anyone believe that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Well, maybe it's time to just square your shoulders and start to believe again. Maybe you're in church this morning. And as I said, you came with your dad. Maybe you're here and you've never met Jesus. Maybe you're here because you drove down the road and something compelled you to come inside of this place. It's not a mistake. But open your heart to what God wants to do. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, 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 and I, I really feel this in my spirit, Pastor Rick. There's people here today. You've walked into this place. I don't know why you're here, but God does. And he loves you. He has a plan for your life. That you would be something. That you would do something. The Bible says he's set eternity in the hearts of men. There's eternity. God wants to shift your world. He wants to take you from the dark spaces to the light spaces. He wants you to take you. He wants to take you from the power of the enemy to the power of God. In one moment, it doesn't mean you have to get religious. You don't have to walk around with a Bible big enough to choke a kangaroo. You don't have to start speaking in these and thous. Being a Christian is perfectly natural. You say, well, all the Christians I know, they're losers. Yeah, they are losers. We've lost regret. We've lost unforgiveness. We've lost eternity in hell. We've lost all the brokenness. We've lost the shackles of sin. But let me tell you, we might have lost some stuff. But boy, did we find something there. Boy, did we, we found life eternal. We found the Holy Ghost and power. You might be lost today. You might be in this place and you don't know Jesus. Today is your day to encounter God. Expect that he'll change your life. I grew up in a household. I was thinking it's Father's Day. I was thinking, man, I grew up with a, with a father who I love and I honor. Man, him, my dad was literally about one inch of being a bit of a mental Pentecostal. Actually, he, he crossed way over that line. He, he would like, I'm sure maybe the Shelton boys can relate to having some kind of growing up in a Holy Ghost filled parents' house. Like, my house wasn't like your house. For my sixth birthday, my father did not give me a G.I. Joe. He didn't give me matchbox cars. He bought me an overhead projector. <laughs> an overhead projector. And I would set up that overhead projector in my room, I'd bring the kids over. And instead of playing out the backyard on a bike, I'd line them up and we'd have church. The bears would be in church. We'd lay hands on the bears. They'd be slain in the spirit. I preached some of my best messages to those bears, man. I baptized a bear once. His eye fell off. My mum sewed the eye back on and we testified to the healing power of Jesus. You know? I mean, I never, I never, if I was sick on a school day, I never got sympathy. I never got, you know, just... Let me, let me put a cold towel on your fevered brow. I've I got nothing on my fevered brow except Jesus' name. That'd bring in a bucket of oil enough to drown a koala. Glug, 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 glug. Man, you, you in Jesus' name, be healed of the affliction. Spirit of death, come off him. Ah! 
pick him up. And so I'd get up, black eye, thick lip, blood nose, couple of teeth missing, but not one flu symptom. But I grew up in a, I grew up in a home where we saw the supernatural, where we saw miracles, where people would come to our house, knock on the door, sick in their body. Our parents would lay hands on them. I mean, all sorts of crazy things happened, but people would leave different to the way they came. They'd come to the meetings sick, but they'd leave well. They'd come to the meetings broken, and, they, and they'd leave whole. And, and can I tell you, being growing up in that environment where the supernatural was kind of natural, it's put me in a space where I, I find that I just live with a sense of expectancy that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that He's a big God with big plans. And you know, we, we can't let our worldview of God get so small. Sometimes we go to our God and tell him, man, i got some big problems. We, we need to stop telling God how big the problem is and start telling the problem how big God is. The Bible says magnify the Lord. When you magnify the Lord, you make God bigger. You make God bigger. He's a big God with big plans and he is able to do supernatural things in this house by his spirit.